Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. This is episode 52. We've got a fun title for you about Commander Bun Bun taking a bite out of Yuga Bite. Uh, my name is Cole Bowden. I'm one of the Trino developer advocates. Joining me is Manfred. Manfred, glad to be back yeah. again. Yeah, it's good to, to run another show with an interesting topic. Yuga Bite should be really cool to take a bite off. <laughs> Yeah, and this is, uh, I think, the shortest cadence we've had between episodes in a while, with the last one happening just a few weeks ago. So we're back so soon, but we've got a lot to talk about, and there's a lot going on in the Trino community, a lot more to talk about coming up in Trino as well. So, with Yeah, you today we're kind of flipping it to the other side, right? Like last time we were Popsicle, so we talked about a client. Today we're talking about a data source, so... Yeah, and it's... Like an the other side of the cluster, so to speak, right? So interesting, cool. fascinating data source that I think... Makes a lot of sense to pair with Trino. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll dive into it a little more once we've done our recap of what's been going on in Trino. But we have Dennis Magda, uh, the Director of Developer Relations at Yugabyte, who will be joining us. But before we get to Yugabyte, we have to do our housekeeping. We have to talk about the Trino releases. Um, this week, we're, we're graced with my unofficial highlights. Uh, Martin has not posted his highlights yet. So stay tuned to the Trino Slack or LinkedIn for... Probably better, more curated highlights than what I'm able to throw together. Ah, come on. Don't be so modest, Cole. You know what's going on in those releases, and you're putting good summaries together. Yeah, so uh, Trino 428, uh, we had reduced memory usage for group by. Uh, Trino 430, also I'll jump to that, is improved performance of group by. Uh, Dane Sundstrom has been working on the under the hood of aggregations in a big way, and that's going to be paying off with marginal improvements here and there and some bigger ones as well as as he rewrites that code so uh stay tuned for that and that should impact functions down the line as well uh 428 added simplified configuration for managing writer counts uh it used to be that you had to set a min writer count and a max writer count and there were a few other things and it was like six different properties um that has been consolidated so now you can give a target writer count i believe um and that makes life a lot easier if there's just a number that you want and you don't want to have to tinker with floors and ceilings to see what Trino does. Um, faster reading of small parquet files on data lakes. So if you have lots of small files, that's going to go quicker now, which is always nice because uh, that can lots of small files can add up to being a lot of data. And that can be a pretty substantial performance improvement if that's how your data is stored. Also, that's if you have that performance problem, you should really consider like, changing those files and compacting them to a larger yeah, files. true. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're helping sometimes you, you also... just can't, I know, but like just, just saying. <laughs> yeah, there's there's multiple things that could be done, but we always try to be as helpful as we can in Trino. And if it's a performance improvement, it's a performance improvement. So uh 429 has faster oh I forgot the query options on dynamic tables and Pino. Um I admittedly do not know a whole lot about what query options are. I am assuming those of you who use Pino do, but I've linked to uh, exactly what query options are, so you can read more about that if that's something that's fascinating to you. Um, 429 has faster reading of work files in Hive, uh, more type supported for schema evolution. Uh, that's me abbreviating the fact that you can now change various numerical types to other numerical types. Uh, check the exact release notes for specifics on that, but it's just more type changing if needed. Uh, also, special yeah. shout out to Joe Johnson. We updated the docs for that as well with 431. So you don't have to look at the release notes only. You can just look at the docs very shortly. <laughs> yeah, 431 <laughs> coming out soon. 
maybe today, maybe tomorrow. We'll see about that. Uh, and 429 also had a variety of interesting security improvements. Uh, I'm choosing to highlight the fact that if you're using the Trino web UI and you log out, uh, that'll also log out of your session. So you're not logging out of one thing, but still logged into another. It just cuts the connection all in one go, which is safer and more secure and just better practice. So it's a good thing we got that added in. Um, and then 4.30 had improved performance of group by, which we've talked about. Support for setting time zones on the session level. Um, so it used to be that you had to configure that uh, at larger scale. But if you want to run a Trino session from somewhere else or pretend like you're in a different time zone, you can now set your session time zone and act like you're somewhere else on the globe, which is pretty handy for a wide variety of debugging things. I know that I've run into time zone issues. It also there. works the other way around, by the way. If you have a distributed workforce, that is all across the globe and you don't want all that different time zones messing up what's going on and you're not understanding, you can basically force the time zone for everyone to be one time zone. And that also helps a lot. So there's both ways that can work. Yeah. So pretty useful change. Um, should get rid of some weird, was it on this day or that day based on the specific hour at which it occurred issues. Uh, and then table statistics added to the MariaDB connector. So it's useful. And that's basically only an add-on like for MariaDB. We already had it in a couple of other connectors. So yeah. Um, do you want to talk about what's coming in 431 now, Manfred? Or do we should Yes, I do want to spill the beans. It's just so exciting. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there to... once we're once we've covered Yugabyte. That'll be our pull request of the episode, or more like release highlight of the episode. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'm gonna scroll back up. We're going to pull the release notes off my screen, and we're going to pull Dennis in. Hey, Dennis. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast. Thanks Hello for everyone. Us. Hello, folks. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone who is watching us live right now, or if you will be watching us in the future. Mostly in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but Dennis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Introduce yourself to the Trino community who may not be familiar with you right now. Yeah, why why you go by DB and why Trina and why we decided to put together this uh, uh, live stream? I'm the guy who has been working with databases for the last eight plus years. It just happened. I'm a poor Java developer who eventually switched to that cruel world of databases, and uh, I remained in this world uh, ever since. Uh, before 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 databases, uh, before you go by DB and uh, all that you know data storage related stuff, I was using Java as a developer, as a backend engineer, and also I spent uh, several years at Oracle building GDK. So generally, uh, that's my story. And uh, as a guy, I like, you know, just to take stuff, hack stuff, and see how, and just educating right now developers to use uh, DB Postgres and other databases. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll look forward to see everything in action. Um, before we do that, though, um, we have to connect, create a connection between how Yugabyte as a data source works in terms of talking to Trino. And that is our concept of the week, isn't it, Cole? Yeah. So if you've existed in Trino, if you've written code for Trino, or if you just use Trino, you may be aware of this magical API that's JDBC. Uh, in the show notes, I uh, joke that it could stand for just the best connectors. Um, 
which is, is not what it stands for. It's uh, Java Database Connectivity. Uh, and it's one of the core APIs by which a lot of the connectors in Trino function. There's a lot of Java-based databases out there. Uh, and through JDBC, they can all talk to each other in one unified way. Um, and it's something that is relatively easy to implement. We have an example JDBC connector and documentation for that in Trino. Um, but we figured that today we'd explore how JDCB connectors, JDBC connectors work, uh, why this is useful, and we're going to be using Postgres as our example. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. Like JDBC, JDBC, <clears throat> we as application, like those I think who are watching us, uh, application developers or analysts, or like they just find their ways to interact with Trino, right? And you usually interact with Trino by coming up and running different SQL requests of various complexity. And if you want those SQL requests to be executed over a relational database, such as Postgres, MySQL, or Oracle, Trino needs to connect to those data stores. And uh, you can use drivers, and those drivers are created by people who build those databases or who love those databases and they want to contribute by other means. So you need to have the driver that's your kind of connection point between your Trino cluster and between your target uh, database. It's simple. But you usually don't touch. You just don't. You just need to provide several parameters in your Trino uh, connector settings, and you're good to go. Trino will handle the rest. Trino knows how to use uh, the driver. Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Like it's confusing for some people because there's also a JDBC driver for Trino. So if you have a Java-based application and you want to connect to Trino, you can use a JDBC driver to query Trino. But this is the other end sort of where JDBC driver is used. So in that case, it's the JDBC driver of the underlying data source. So our example here is PostgreSQL. Um, and there's various other JDBC drivers. What do these JDBC drivers typically do, Dennis? Like they just, like yeah, what are some it, of the APIs that you think these expose? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, JDBC is, uh, is one of their specifications of Java. So generally, uh, in the Java community, folks like to standard standardize everything. You have <laughs> yeah. many relational databases. And historically, many relational databases, when they started, they had their own version of SQL. Like IBM DB2 would speak one dialect of SQL, Oracle would speak another dialect of SQL, etc. But at some point, uh, the folks came up with a SQL standard. And right now, whether you're in many scenarios when you create some meaningful application for Oracle, and then you decide to switch to Postgres or MySQL, then if you have not, if you have not used any Oracle-specific features, then your application can be switched from Oracle to MySQL or Postgres with little changes. Usually you have difficulties if you created any stored procedures in Oracle. But we have SQL specification stand, standard, we have JDBC standard, and there are databases, many uh, well-known relational databases, they strive to support the SQL st standard, and those who create drivers for those databases, if uh, a driver is written in Java, then they try to follow the JDBC specification so that it's easier, let's say, to switch between different uh, databases. And here is, I mean, like, in my assumption, I have not tried to use MySQL or Oracle with Trino, but my guess that for Oracle and uh, MySQL, you also use JDBC driver, but for those databases. So every database has its own version of the JDBC driver. 
And the driver is like comes with several, like one of the important steps uh, of this uh, communication uh, between the database driver and Trino backend is first Trino needs to open a connection to the database using the driver. You just need to provide a, a connection uh, address. And after that, you can uh, happily send uh, your queries. You can always fine tune different parameters by adjusting driver settings, but uh, for the basics, and we are going to look at the basics today, you just need to know the address of your database and you need to provide a, a special connection string to the driver. That's it. Awesome, that's interesting. So, so um, basically the JDBC driver then like sends a message to the database that says something like, give me like, you know, that table, those columns and whatever. Each, no. Every database here, yeah, every database supports its own protocol. There is like, like Postgres has its own wire protocol. It's like network layer or communication layer protocol. When you, when you want to open a connection with Postgres or send a, a query for execution, you need to send a special message, like following some format, uh, but that's easy to support. And uh, the, the drivers, the drivers for Postgres implement this. MySQL drivers implement the MySQL protocol for the communication, and uh, the story continues. But okay, after so, that... so so I'm I'm confused now, or like, well, I have a follow up question, so to speak. Um, so you we we're talking about the PostgreSQL driver, the MySQL driver, but today we want to talk about Yugabyte DB. So how does that work, like? Why? What? What's the difference between Yugabyte DB and uh, and PostgreSQL? If we are like using the PostgreSQL connector or whatever we are using there, tell us more about Yugabyte and how the relationship works between Yugabyte and PostgreSQL. Yeah, like what's I remember the difference. Yeah, yeah, the first time we met with you and we had that conversation about Yugabyte DB, Postgres, and Trainer. Uh, we discovered that there is no any specific integration or Yugabyte DB on the Trino end. But then how would you use how would you use Yugabyte DB as a data source for Trino? It's simple. Yugabyte DB is built on the PostgreSQL source code. Yugabyte DB is a distributed database that will scale your data across several database nodes. And then all of those nodes will be handling your read and write requests. And as long as the upper half of Yugabyte DB is built on Postgres, on the Postgres uh, uh, query engine, then we inherit a lot of the good uh, properties of Postgres. Most of the application libraries, frameworks, and drivers and tools that you created for Postgres will work with Yugabyte DB out of the box. Sometimes uh -huh. it can be a lift and shift story. Sometimes you will be able to migrate, let's say, from Postgres to Yugabyte DB easily, but you still might need to introduce some optimizations because you are switching from Postgres, which is a single server database to a multi-server to, to a multi-node yugabyte db cluster which means that you migrated probably without any code changes but then you can do some load load testing performance testing and you might need to optimize some of the queries because right now those queries are running across a distributed uh, storage engine but that's easy like and that's the goal of the today's show is just i want to start with a with streamer working with the Postgres instance, you know, we will run some application workload and then we will try to, uh, we will switch this application workload to Yugabyte DB and we would try to switch Trino to Yugabyte DB and run a few other experiments. Awesome, that'd be cool to see. That's very interesting. So it is actually PostgreSQL with like more bells and whistles and, and who runs it? Like, uh, am I running this Yugabyte DB on my data servers or? 
it's it's open source it's apache 2.0 it's on github you can download it you can install it and you don't need to pay a penny uh, wow. to yuga by db but certainly we, we live in the cloud native world and uh there are many options, uh, like you can use Yuga by DB as a managed service on every public environment. We have another version of the product for private data centers, for private clouds. But generally speaking, you have a huge open source user base, similarly to Postgres. Like most of the Postgres users, they use Postgres for free and same for same stands for Yuga by DB, no differences. And then the reason you would use the silver Postgres is that distributedness, right? It's we do not compete to Postgres. Uh, we complement Postgres. So generally, yeah. uh, for, for me, Yuga by DB is distributed version of Postgres. It doesn't, exactly. it will not support, or like it's not 100% Postgres compatible because the only 100% compatible database with Postgres is Postgres. <laughs> uh, but Yuga by DB like is feature compatible and runtime compatible. It supports all the essential stuff, all the key extensions, etc. And the reason why you would do this uh, when sometimes you can run out of the Postgres you can, you can just, you know, get to some physical limitations. You might not have enough uh, space in your storage. You might not, uh, might not, you might not have enough, you know, CPU cores to run your workloads on Postgres. And you want to switch to something that can scale both vertically and horizontally. So when you need scalability, that's the first reason. Another one is high availability because with Postgres, in Postgres ecosystem, there are various solutions for the disaster recovery, for high availability, but with Yuga by DB, you just deploy a, as like multi-node cluster across several availability zones, data centers, or regions. You, def, you, you select your deployment option. And after that, the cluster will take care of their fault tolerance. Like if anything goes down, the nodes will figure this out and your application will continue operation without any data loss. So this is what we do. Like we, we make uh, high availability easy, seamless and possible for Postgres. And another one is related to the modern stuff is we live in this global world when our users are across their world and we want sometimes to pin user data to specific locations in the United States, let's say Australia or Europe. Uh, for data regulatory requirements or for low latency. And this is also what uh, Yuga by DB supports out of the box. Today we will see if the time allows, we will see the high availability. We certainly will see the scalability. We, we are going to run a multi-node Yuga by DB cluster with Trino. And then I will try to, you know, break things a little bit, you know, by killing one of the nodes and see what happens with the application with Trino. It can fail literally. Some, usually it works 100% of the time, but sometimes it fails. And so I wanted to ask that just because I wanted to highlight the fact that when you're using this like distributed multi-parallel processing massive query engine that's all about scale and performance that is Trino, it makes sense to have a storage solution that also can scale and do these same horizontal and vertical extensions that allow you to go literally as big as you could possibly need with data. Like there is no amount of data that will overwhelm these systems, which is what you like to hear, you know, it's people like to ask, does it scale? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, Trino, 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 in my understanding, Trino is for analytics, Yuga by DB is for transactional workloads. Exactly. Uh, it's just a very specific, you know, separation between yeah. two uh, two databases. So some people ask like, hey, can I use Yuga by DB for analytics? And we usually say like, if you can use Postgres for your analytical workload, then you can use Yuga by DB. But we are not optimizing Yuga by DB for OLAP. Our our territory is OLTP, and that's a huge and hard territory to be in. Yeah, it, it feels like it's even more distributed than Trino. Like Trino, typically you have one cluster, right? And like 
but you were basically saying you have one cluster, but you have like sort of multiple master nodes and like they can like be connected from different places. So I'm really looking forward to see this in action a bit more. So yeah, it's yeah. a multi-master, it's a multi-master architecture. Yeah, it's multi, every node is both primary and secondary in the sense that you have this table and you shard this table across that cluster, you distribute the data. And let's say one subset of the data will be on one node, meaning that that node will be handling read and write requests for that data. The other node will be handling uh, the read and write workloads for the other subset of the data. And then they also keep the replica copies of this data because this is a transactional database. And we assume that the cluster and the zones and regions and data centers will fail and we cannot allow ourselves to any data inconsistency or data losses. But that's that's a database here. It's shared nothing architecture, meaning there is no any coordinator, nothing like that. Every, every each Yugabyte DB node can talk to each other to decide on the data distribution, on the transaction coordination, on fault tolerance, and et cetera. Wow, cool. All right, do we wanna move on to demo time? All right, yep, let's do that. Uh, uh, let me share the screen. All right, that's what we've got. Uh, just empty command line. Uh, what I have, I, I'm going to use uh, Docker. Uh, you can deploy in Trino and Yugabyte DB and Postgres whenever you like. I've already, I think, studied containers. I have Postgres running. I have a three node Yugabyte DB cluster running. We will get into this uh, really quick. Trino container is stopped for now. I did this purposefully because I wanted to show you uh, how to add a Postgres connector of Trino uh, to the engine. So my Trino uh, data is located under the, under the following folder. I have this catalog here. And there, let's take a look. I have this Postgres properties file. So I create this Postgres properties file and, AS, and if everything is defined pro properly within this file, then we will have this data source available to Trino in runtime. That's the point, right? Uh, let's take a look what's inside. Well, simple, because Postgres and Trino, they are running in the same docker environment and they will be able to see each other. So here is we are defining connector name, Postgres, and uh, Trino has a Postgres-specific implementation that uses that JDBC driver that we discussed. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to change. And this is you know, what you need to do to get the driver connected to Postgres. You need to sell our driver is JDBC. That's why we have JDBC here. Then we are saying that we are connecting to Postgres. A Postgres dialect, and after that you have the address of your Postgres instance. This is how my container is named in Docker, Postgres SQL. So here is Postgres SQL. And then the port number and the default database to connect to. And then username and password, simple, right? And by the way, for those of you that are worried there's clear text passwords there, you can secure all that in Trino. Oh yeah, unfortunately. We're using dummy data for this. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. So now let's uh, start our Trino cluster. And I hope that everything is going to work fine. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, let's connect to this cluster. And they will open their command line session. Okay. Make it bigger. So now, once we're connected, we can see schemas, but from Postgres. 
Okay. Yeah, we have a few schemas, and this is a verification that our Trino engine managed to connect to my Postgres instance in Docker. So far, so good. And here is I have this public schema. Uh, let's see. Usually, by default, uh, when you create table in Postgres, if you don't define any schema, all the tables will be added to the public one. So we can check from Postgres, public. Yeah, do we have anything? No, we don't have any tables, which means that we need to start some application workload, correct? For that, I prepared a simple application. That application is called market orders application. Basic Java application that subscribes to a stream of fictitious uh, market ticks, like there is some service in the internet that generates different market uh, ticks and trades, and you can subscribe to it and you can do whatever you want with those trades. So that application will be connecting to the service, capturing all those uh, market orders and storing into my Postgres database. So that's the point. Uh, how do I start it? I am going to start this application also in Docker. Uh, the container name will be market orders instance. And here is one important, yeah, the most important configuration here is this Postgres Docker properties file. So this is the application, what it does. It's also going to use this data source. This is the Java stuff. If you're using Node.js, Python, or any other technology, then you would have a Postgres driver created for that language or framework. I'm going to use this Postgres simple data source that relies on the JDBC driver, the same JDBC driver that Tri uh, Trino uses. And then I'm telling, okay, yeah, connect to this Postgres instance. That's the name of my Postgres container. And that's the same username, password, and database that we use for Trino. That's it, similar configuration, the same driver. So let's start it. Okay, we connected. We connected to the market order stream. And right now you can see that we are streaming the first trades. And here is, you have, also, we are querying the database every two seconds to list the most popular stocks, the stocks that people, you know, like to buy the most. Okay, so now if we go back to Trino, and right now we can take a look at this Postgres public schema. What are the tables? You can see that, yeah, this application created two tables, buyer and trade, and also there is a materialized view. We are not using this materialized view uh, at this time. So that's simple, right? This is how you can quickly uh, create connection between Trino and Postgres, and this is how you can work with them. For instance, often they can use SQL. Uh, let's connect here, yeah, let's connect to, let's count the number of trades that we have in the trade table in Postgres. Simple operation, if you keep executing it, you can see that this number keeps changing, and this number is very close aligned with what you see on the application end. Also, so it is basically live getting the data and pumping it in as it comes, sort of like an event capture. Absolutely, absolutely. You just connect it from Trina to Postgres using the GDBC driver, the connection is opened and you keep sending those requests and then Trino gets data from Postgres. Something is done on the Postgres end, something is done on Trino and but eventually uh, the users get results uh, from the place where they executed that query. Also, you can run more sophisticated queries like, you know, this one is way too sophisticated, like this one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what this one does, it returns the most po popular stocks that are being like, it, it's similar to the query you see here on the application end. You just need symbol is the name of the stock. And then we are just, you know, calculating the bid price for every symbol. We group this stuff 
and eventually you will find the most popular stocks at the given moment. So that's what you have. Okay. Mm -hmm. Some familiar names and some not so familiar at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I also don't know like what Illyrium uh, is or linen cloth. I don't know. If we can go wild and like you can also use Trainer to join data that is stored in different Postgres tables. Like here is we want to get the most active traders. We are querying data from the Postgres buyer table and we are joining this data with their trades. So we basically want to find the first name and last name and how much that person spent in total. So this way we want just to find who are the most active traders at the given moment. Arnold Mazur and Sam Newman, etc. Okay, these are the basics, right? That the folks would already know, like if you use Trino. Where is Zugabyte? So imagine right now that this application, this market orders application, gets some traction, it becomes popular, uh, the uh, the volume of the data keeps growing, and so there are a number of user requests. You need to scale. You need to be able to scale not only vertically but also horizontally. And also, uh, right now, I'm running a single server of Postgres, which means that not only I want to scale beyond the single server capacity, but also I want to be able to withstand potential outages that can happen with our database servers. And here is when uh, uh, the story for Yuga by DB starts for many. So for that, let me just interrupt this application for now. Because we are going we, to we are overflowing already, right? So <laughs> need to check and get something better, right? That's <laughs> uh, yeah. If everything is right for you with Postgres, keep using Postgres. This is wonderful database. If you need to switch to something that is distributed and highly available, you have an option as a Postgres user. You have Yuga by DB. So Yuga by DB cluster, it also runs in Docker, and we can go connect through the SQL interface, so we can use this UI. So what I have here, I have a three-node cluster running. That's the internal IP address that was assigned in Docker. You know, some, you know, default data center and rack number. And, uh, but we don't have any data. The cluster So this management interface that is showing there runs on Yugabyte on the individual nodes automatically and comes as part of it, basically. It, so it's it's a standalone process. Like in Yugabyte DB, when you start when you start a Yugabyte DB node, Yugabyte DB node is comprises several standalone processes. Mm -hmm. You have Postgres backend. It's literally Postgres with modifications that runs and listens on a defined port port number. That's your query layer, and then you have another process for the storage layer of Yugabyte DB where we store your actual data and execute queries. And then you have the standalone process for the UI. So I can connect to this. Here is that's the instance of the UI for the first node of the mm -hmm. cluster. OK. But it's part of the open source Yugabyte DB project to exactly. have all this nice UI and stuff. Exactly, exactly. It's open. It's open. Very cool. And here, as you can see, the names, right? Sure. I decided not to be way too creative. And the names of for this nodes is Yugabyte DB underscore node number one, node number two, node number three. This is how the nodes can discover each other. And this is how the application and Trino will be able to discover the cluster within this Docker container environment. Okay. So let's switch Trino. So let's uh, do this for now. I will exit from my Trino uh, shell and I will uh, go to the. Yeah, I have this Trino properties. Let's copy this Postgres properties to Yuga by DB. 
file. Once we do this and once we update the configuration, we will have their YugabyteDB data source available for Trino. So here is, we don't want to touch this property because this is what Trino supports. We just need to tell Trino that Trino, hey, you're going to work with Postgres. So please use your Postgres implementation for this data source. Use JDBC driver. Uh, also, we are not going to change this beginning of this URL because JDBC Postgres, we are going to use the same JDBC driver. But here is we are going to be, uh, this is what we are going to adjust. We know that you have YugabyDB node. Yeah, let me close this one for now. YugabyDB node number two, right? And it listens on this port number. And also what the, and this is actually already enough. You can just go this way. I'm going to connect to YugabyDB database. <laughs> the username is going to be Yugabyte. And guess what? The password is going to be also Yugabyte. <laughs> uh, it's it's impossible to forget. But the driver, the standard driver of Postgres, allows you to define several connection endpoints. For what? For fault tolerance needs. For instance, if the driver loses connection to your primary endpoint that goes first, then the driver will automatically connect to the next endpoint that is listed in here. So we know that we have Yugabyte DB port number one import, and we also have Yugabyte DB node number three. That's for the cases if we get to the fault tolerance demo. I'm going to kill node number two, but then I want Trino to continue its operations and use the remaining nodes. So these connections, the driver will be opening connection to these nodes only when the first one fails or becomes unavailable. But the Postgres driver has another interesting parameter that I want to show you folks. Uh, it's called, yeah, let me Google for it. It's called uh, Postgres, <laughs> Postgres uh, JDBC uh, multiple endpoints. I'll find it. Yeah, initializing driver, connection failover. Yeah, it's called load balance hosts. If you set this parameter to true. Then it'll round robin through all of them. Yeah, it will round robin and it doesn't need to wait for the failure. So basically during the normal operations, the driver okay. will be opening connection uh, to several Yugabyte DB nodes, which is better from the full, like from the load balancing perspective. Trina will be sending multiple requests. And if Trina opens and maintains multiple connections to their uh, YugabyteDB data source that you will be round robin like you will be sending requests to different YugabyteDB nodes. Okay. How sophisticated is that load balancing? Is it just kind of like one third, one third, one third, in hopes that the workload gets distributed evenly, or is it aware that one node is being heavily used and? I, I don't I don't know, my friend. Actually, what I, <laughs> what, what what I learned from this uh, documentation, and I didn't look in the source code. They just say that they open. When you define this property, they will start opening these okay. connections randomly. They will just use some random number and decide like which one node will be used for the next connection. That's all I know. Well, that can be homework for our viewers then, as they can go, they can go look into yeah, that. Play around with it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right. So we define this Yugabyte DB properties file under the Prino catalog directory. Okay. So now let me restart uh, Reiner so that it picks up. By the way, do I really need to restart? Because I was reading that you don't support the dynamic, dynamic catalog changes yet, or is it already supported? 
It's <laughs> implemented. It's not yet documented, but it does work to create and uh, drop catalogs on the fly via SQL statements. Um, altering a or like uh, you doing it, changing it is not yet supported. But it's all it's all in progress and coming soon. Eventually, pick okay. one of those two words. One of those two. It's sooner. Eventually, it'll be there. Yeah, it but makes sense. It, it makes sense. Creating and dropping already works. Yeah, at least yeah. This one, I know for sure it will work. Okay, so we restarted Trino, and now let's uh, connect back to our container. Okay, fingers crossed. Uh, show schemas. Not from Postgres, but from Yoga by DB. Okay, we've got schemas, and actually, we've got the same schemas. Oh, same. Because let me show you this. We have this nice UI, and this new UI is a new addition to Yoga by DB. This is actually what we created for our managed service, and this is the UI of the managed service. But then we decided to open source it, and that's why it looks so nice. But our earlier UI is running on this port number. It's more detailed. It's it's not that fancy, but it can let me it can let us look into their more detailed stuff like tables. Here is you can see this PG underscore table spaces type attribute pros. This is those are the tables from the PostgreSQL catalog. And this is why, like when you have some application tool or driver or framework created for Postgres, it's highly likely that it will work with Yuga by DB because we effectively Postgres is support Postgres catalog, error codes, everything, because we run Postgres internally. And if we repeat, as for the tables, uh, really quick, show tables from Yuga by DB public. Nothing yet, right? We need to switch our application. So I stopped my application. Uh, let me also, just in case, remove this application container. I will recreate it from scratch. And then this version of the container, we are not going to change anything on the application end, but this properties file. So this is the properties file that the application is going to use uh, for the connectivity. So here is, we can also use the same driver, the same PostgreSQL driver for Yuga by DB, not a problem. But here is, I am using the smart driver of Yuga by DB. Why it's smart? It's it's a fork of Postgres driver. It's just the Postgres driver that comes with some Yuga by DB specific stuff. What's what's the difference? So here is, you can see that by default, the driver will be also connecting to this Yuga by DB node, number two. But once the driver connects to this node number two, it will, learn and load IP addresses of the other two nodes automatically. So it allows you to dynamically monitor the state of the cluster topology. You add new nodes, you drop some nodes, the driver keeps track of the current nodes that are alive, and it will be using those IP addresses dynamically whenever it's needed. This is what the standard driver of Postgres doesn't support because Postgres doesn't have this capability. We have this additional endpoints parameter, but this one is used only during the connection time. When you start, let's say, your application, then the application needs to open the first connection, and it will try to open the first connection using this node. But if this node is not available for any reason, it will connect through any of these nodes that are listed here. Once connected, it will also load dynamically the other IP addresses of the other nodes. So that's what we have. Let's start this application. I feel like that that Yugabyte DB Postgres 
kind of JDBC enhanced driver it answers kind of cool questions from earlier. Like it does kind of that sort of like smarter yeah. balancing and stuff, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So right now, yeah, we are creating the schema. It takes a little bit more time here because DDL is executed longer in our distributed database, considering Raft consensus protocol, but I don't want to go into the details. <laughs> but eventually we've got the same application running right now. So let's go back to Trina. Let's execute the same request. Do I have my tables? Yeah, I have my tables, the same tables. And uh, now let's run this simple experiment. Uh, for instance, I want to query what? The most popular stocks. But right now I'm querying this from the Yugabyte DB trade table, okay, not from Postgres. If you run this query, yeah, it will be ex ex executed across all of the nodes and then Trina will get your final result. And here is what you can see. That's what it was returned from Yugabyte. If you keep executing what I have. Yeah, this is for instance, the most active traders. Also, we are querying this data from Yugabyte DB. I noticed that like it takes more time to execute this over Yugabyte DB than on Postgres on my machine, but that's the problem with my uh, Yugabyte DB image. It's, it's yeah, not you're running a lot for... of stuff now. It's just a laptop, right? Yeah, and, and it's also like it's not optimized for this AMD 64 configuration for Apple M1 CPU, while Postgres is optimized. That's that's my problem. Hmm. But generally, the, the latency, the performance is comparable. So this is what you need to have between Postgres and Yugabyte DB. Even you, even if when you scale to distributed database, you introduce the network latency. But at least if you maintain the same latency and performance when you compare to standalone Postgres server, it's already a good big win. Yeah, and oh. it's, I think the advantage is worth highlighting is that latencies should be about the same, but bandwidth is where Yugabyte DB is going to begin to take off at large scales where Postgres can't handle it. Yugabyte DB will, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the right point. So what else, right? We know that Trino supports uh, federated queries. And we still have our post, uh, we still have our Postgres database running, and Trina is still aware of the Postgres SQL existence, even though the application no longer writes any data into the Postgres instance. But why don't we run, say, this federated query? What this query does, it returns this the most popular stocks from the historical data. And this historical data is in our Postgres database. Like imagine that we just still have this database and all the history is there. And we are joining this data with the latest information that is in the YugaByDB. So we just select from YugaByDB, we join it with uh, the data in Postgres, and then we join on the same symbol number. Like let's say we have information for the stocks for the Google in Postgres in YugaByDB, and I want to find to get this final total, let's say, like what was the most popular stock across all of those two databases. Let's run this federated query. And here is what we've got. So, so here, as you can see, that's the actual information that is stored in our YugaByDB. And this is the total for Google. And it definitely took something from Postgres. If we take a look at Postgres, uh, for Postgres, it's in here. Yeah, we still have this request for Postgres. Uh, no, not this one. This one. This one is for Postgres. We also have more than $50,000 uh, spent on Google. And this is your federated query. In general, you're going to have more than 100 
ardent. Yep. Yeah, so very cool. cool. And, and that kind of federated query obviously could also be where the old data is not in Postgres, but in some data lake or whatever, right? So that's really exactly, cool. exactly. It's like this is uh, this is the the job of Trino, right? Yeah, you whatever, yeah, like whatever you want. We're basically just showing that. Yeah, we had that probably. Let's say usually when you migrate from one database to another, you also migrate data. But let's say that we decided now we don't want to migrate any data from Postgres. Let it remain in Postgres, but we still need the data for reports, and we can run that those federated queries across multiple databases. Okay, final one. Uh, let's uh, disrupt this workload a little bit. We know that our Trino connector and uh, the application are connected to their Yuga by DB node number two by default. So that's the primary connection endpoint. And then there will be other connections that are open to the other nodes. And right now, let's say that something bad happened uh, in the data center when that node was running and the node went down, it became unavailable. So for that, to simulate that outage, we are going to use just this docker stop command. Uh, I will stop this node number two. You're pulling the power cable out of the, that server rack. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now I also let me run this query from Trina. So generally within several seconds, what happens right now? Usually within three seconds, Yuga by DB internally detects the outage. It's like, and then the nodes will detect that, all right, node number two is no longer available. They, then they will start the raft consensus protocol re-election because they need to decide who is the owner for this data that previously belonged to node number two, etc. And then this issue will be propagated to the upper level, to the driver, to Trino, to the application, and the application the, and the driver need to refresh the connections. So based on our calculations, if to consider, like for Yuga by DB usually detects and does the re-election within the three seconds window, but considering all the network-related timeouts, default timeouts, it can take up to 30 seconds. You will see this, like, this pause in your workload. You can see some, you know, exceptions if some of the some of the connections will be broken right on the application end. But the application will open connections with the other nodes that are alive. The point is that you're not losing any data. That's a transactional mm. database. That's the point. We cannot afford losing any data. Yeah, it's also like cool to observe, right? Like like on the right hand side there, it just keeps writing, like didn't care at all. Like the application just keeps running, pumping data in. The database server wanted and disappeared, but it's completely unfazed by that. And so also I remember and also remember the cool thing that is related to Trina. We stopped Yugabyte DB not number two. And let's remind ourselves what was their uh yeah, this not number two was the first, which means the default connection endpoint for our Trino connector, which means the Trino also doesn't did not experience any outage. It had some delay while the cluster was, you know, figure out everything. But right now you don't need to restart Trino. You don't need to change any, anything. Like the driver is connected to the other nodes and Trino uh, keeps running without any issues. And now the queries are quick again. Once it figures it out that one time, it's back to basically being full speed, yeah? Uh-huh, yep, yep. So let me, yeah, this new interface, yeah. So on this new interface, you can see that, yeah, this node is down, it's no longer available, but these remaining two nodes keep handling read and write workload. You can see this non-zero number mm -hmm. under the reads and writes for both nodes. 
if you yeah answering your question Cole uh, let's uh, assume that that data center availability zone is restored and now we can bring the yoga by DB node back to the cluster we do this by starting this container and generally here is it's better to observe here you'll see that soon this node will join the cluster yeah. it just boots up and then broadcasts the, uh, some sort of a live symbol and there it yeah. is <laughs> it's already here what i'm waiting right now you see this leader and peer leader is like how many charts tablets this node is primary for so this information you see it's being updated because right now you've got another database server and we want to distribute data evenly which means that the cluster internally you know does this resharding data rebalancing and uh, as long as this has happened right now you can see that all of the three nodes are handling your read and write workloads and just in case you confirm that trina it's working executing the same request against yuga by db yeah it works awesome cool so question about that so how many like servers do people typically have in a cluster or what's the kind of range and and like are these like do people typically have like sort of average or like medium or like really large servers and fewer of them and then also where is the storage for that stuff yeah so the minimum number of servers is three and uh why because we use raft consensus protocol for your data synchronization when let's say you have this yuga by db node number two and that node is responsible for my customer data you update my customer record so this node receives this update and then it uses the raft consensus protocol to synchronize this change to the other two nodes and according to the raft consensus protocol if you have the replication factor of three you need to have the consensus of two nodes to allow a change to happen mm -hmm. which means that when you have the three node cluster you can lose one of the nodes and your cluster will continue operations with two nodes but if you lose more than one two then the cluster you will have one node that node will keep all the data but it will not process your request because it cannot reach the consensus for the consensus you need to have at least let's say two nodes so three nodes is a minimal uh when it comes to the maximum it depends because yuga by db can scale uh, vertically and horizontally i mean like you can some companies and users run it on upscale machines some run it on commodity hardware it's okay to see let's say uh, dozens of nodes cluster like nine nodes cluster or hundreds of nodes cluster it all depends on your use case and also you depend like on how you want to deploy it you, go, you can deploy yuga by db within one single region across multiple availability zones or across several regions in the cloud and there are various uh, database configurations for different for different let's say for different needs that's what i would say so if you're running across multiple clouds then they somehow like know not to go transfer data to crazy back and forth because that gets expensive or how does that work so you can do in, in yuga by db we have so-called uh you can deploy standalone Yuga by DB clusters in every cloud environment, and you would mm -hmm. have asynchronous replication between them, asynchronous. Mm -hmm. So this is what every database supports. Uh, any. But you can also deploy so-called geo-partition cluster. For instance, let's say that it's a single cluster, and you can say that, okay, I have customers in the United States, Europe, and Australia, and I want their data to be located in their 
in the place where they live. For instance, if I have some users from European Union, all their data will be automatically placed to the European data centers. Yeah. Or if you have users from Australia, it will be stored in Australia. It's possible to run, let's say, cross-region requests, like you can say pulling and updating data, let's say, from Australia. You can read data. If you're in Australia, you can read data from Amer from the United States or Europe, but at a higher latency. But whenever, you, let's say, you update any records and you are in Europe and all those records belong to Europe, the latency will be very low. So we call this geopartition cluster. You need You just need to define a special column in your table. And based on the value of that column, the database will automatically place or read the record from a specific region. And you can you can take this geopartition use case and deploy a cluster across several clouds if needed, right? So people do this sometimes, so they, oh, they just, you know, deploy standalone Yugabyte DB clusters and set up a synchronous replication. But with a synchronous replication, you, your recovery point objective, meaning like how much data you're going to lose, right, if there is an outage is not zero. Like with synchronous replication within a single cluster, it's always zero, meaning that you're not losing any data mm. regardless of the outage. With a synchronous replication, no, it's it's possible that some of the data will not be transferred and something breaks in the middle, if something breaks in the middle. All and right. And from Trino, you could, you could query the separate ones or whatever if you wanted to, right? Exactly. And uh, with Trina, I mean, uh, Trina, so what we did here, I'm just, you know, specified this multiple nodes in here for their full tolerance and load balancing needs. Uh, but let's say you have other Yugabyte DB clusters, so other Yugabyte DB nodes, you can just create More another catalogs. another properties right under the catalog, under the different names, and you can connect to them directly. And then run federated queries even there potentially if you wanted to. Exactly, that. exactly, exactly. Very cool combination. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very, very much for the demo, Dennis. I think uh, you've done a good job of highlighting how to get started, how it works, what the upsides are. Uh, it's a fascinating piece of technology. And I think YugabyteDB and Trino make sense together in the sense of scale and reliability is all you really want with these two things. And it delivers that in spades. So. Exactly, exactly. What resonated with me <clears throat> when I was reading about Trino for the first time, you say that like Trino is a distributed SQL engine for analytical processing. And when I read distributed SQL, we also categorize YugabyteDB as a distributed SQL database, but for transactional workloads when consistency matters, low latency matters, etc. So that's why both belong to the distributed SQL landscape, but one is for OLAP, another one is for OLTP. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure having you, and uh, we have a couple more bits of housekeeping to wrap up the episode with, but uh, if viewers want to learn more, you can check out the Yugabyte TV website, the Yugabyte website. Uh, Dennis, anything else you want to plug or mention if people want to read or learn more? Oh, just you can find me on Twitter, folks on LinkedIn, etc., and uh, just have fun building scalable right. applications with Trino and Yugabyte TV. Well, and our show notes obviously will include a link yeah. to a very cool blog post that um, details all this all this demo that Dennis has done, as well as links to the other YugabyteDB resources and Dennis's details as well. So thank you again. That was really cool. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting. And Manfred, we have uh, fun, exciting things coming down the pipeline and Trina talked about. So I'm going to play the... Yes. I cut you off there with the with the button but
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just <laughs> um, we just had the sequel training like well last week. It feels like long ago already, but it was only last week. And um, I'm preparing material for next week with Martin, which is going to be super interesting uh, to learn more about all the power of SQL in Trino, um, where we aspire to be as good as PostgreSQL, which is arguably the best implementation of uh, SQL uh, standards. We are very close and like we got some really cool new features coming up as well. But in that training series, we'll dive into all the details. Um, but lots more is going on in the Trino community as well beyond the training series. What's coming up in December, Cole? Yeah, so the Trino Summit, we mentioned it in the last episode, but it bears repeating. It's coming up on the 13th and 14th of December. Uh, it's fully virtual, so you can sit at home in your pajamas with some hot cocoa and enjoy listening to the lineup of talks. We've got some speakers getting finalized now, but we're still open to more. So whether you want to listen or whether you want to talk, consider taking a look at those links to submit a talk or register to attend, and we'd be happy to have you. And of course, as with all Trino events, all talks will also be video on demand available after the fact. Uh, if you're just not available for some amount of time. Uh, yeah, if you have a cool demo like what Dennis just done or anything else on an application, some of the other things we showed in the Trino community broadcast in the past, or also you're using Trino at your company with some custom implementation or just experiences with Trino or Trino-related products, um, we would love to hear from you all. And I'm sure the community will be uh, patient with you. And if you don't feel too comfortable about presenting, we can help you along. It's Pretty easy in the end, right? Yeah. Um, also coming up is a talk with Slalom and Starburst in the Bay Area. That's going to be in Redwood City. Um, you can click on the link there if you want to find more details. I'm currently slated to be speaking at that. So if you want to visit me in person and you're in the Trino community in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, consider signing up and checking that out. Uh, what are though, you going to talk about, Cole? It's going to be about data lakes. Though here's the thing, as I was going to spoil it a little bit is we might be upgrading me to Martine. So Ooh. you could get a, an even better speaker. I'm not going to claim to be as uh, fascinating as Martine is when he's been working on Trino for as long as he has. But uh, I'll click on the event. I and mean, like Martine worked on Trino over a decade, but you've been on Trino quite a long time too, Cole. So don't be too few years. You'd be a great speaker too. <laughs> but so we'll, we'll be talking about Iceberg and Data Mesh. Um, so... And it'll be, you know, about an hour of talking and the event is two hours. So shouldn't be that big of a slog. And I'm, whenever I'm full screen, I'm unable to click the back button. So I have to unfull screen and click the back button and then go back to full screen. It is confusing. <laughs> so so people are going to have a chance to go and meet you in person there and or Martin or both and maybe even go away with a Trino t-shirt or something like that, you think? Yeah, there there may be swag, but. You'll have to show up to find out. Well, that's cool. <laughs> uh, in any case, Manfred, there was one other thing. Do we want to save that for a future Trino Community Broadcast episode, perhaps? It seems like we're running low on time. Um, I want to just mention it because it's going to be, it's super exciting and we've been working on it so hard. So uh, Dane, David, Martin, and myself been working crazy hard. I'm just doing the documentation. So that's the like easier part of it all. Uh, but we implemented a new feature in Trino that's a long, long looked for feature. In the past, if you wanted to write a custom sort of function, you needed to write it in Java, create a plugin with the right version of Trino and deploy that and so on. Now you can write it 
in SQL. So you can go create function, begin, declare variables, if, then, else, case, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff right there in your SQL um, console and your CLI and it can get stored and everything. So super exciting and powerful feature. And we merged everything yesterday and like been like crazy going at it. And we just have a little release blocker, but it's gonna come out in a day or two, maybe even today. I'm so excited. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> we'll see. And you'll probably hear more from us about this because this is a big deal. Uh, so this is yeah, not the last uh, it, year of it. Stay tuned to the Trino channels for more information. Manfred yeah, and me and Dane will demo it in the, in the SQL training episode as yeah. well. So. And we'll have some cool stuff happening there. So Sign up for the SQL training series. And Trino Summit. Yeah, and and if you're in the Bay Area for the uh, Starburst and Slalom Talk, you know, pick your favorite. Or all three. Do all of them. <laughs> in any case, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thanks once again to Dennis for being here to speak and give us such a great overview of Yugabyte DB. And uh, that's going to be us signing off. Thank you to everyone for watching, and we'll see you next time. That's right. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.